Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Don't Mind Our Mess. Now, today we have a really special episode that I'm so excited to be recording. Um, Today we're going to have a good friend of my mom's on, Larissa. She is a second generation Canadian and her grandparents are from the Ukraine. And given the current situations going on in the world, we think it's really important to highlight the more humanized experiences of world conflict. Um... To just state a little bit of facts, in the current, at the current moment today is March 3rd. There has been 2,000 people who have died from the Ukrainian conflict, as well as 1 million people who have fled and are now refugees and seeking asylum in various countries. These facts are coming from Al Jazeera and RPN. In the spirit of Don't Mind or Mess, we try to create a space to allow the human experience to be discussed and to normalize some of the experiences we as people go through on the day-to-day life um anything else you wanted to add to that mom yes um it's been a couple months since we recorded um don't mind our mess so oh yeah i forgot about that (laughs) (laughs) i just wanted to introduce myself again it's kim campbell and uh the lovely voice that you just heard was cassandra campbell my daughter and uh, just to give a bit of context, too, um, in terms of that human spirit piece that Cassandra was talking about, um, earlier this week, after the weekend and watching the videos and the newsreels, I was feeling very heavy about world events surrounding the Ukraine and Russia and understanding that we know people personally affected with their um own dad and brother-in-law needing to stay and their mom and sister fleeing after a week of deciding do they stay or do they not go with um, their husbands and they have decided to come and leave and their spouses are staying and fighting in the Ukraine and you know our neighbors uh, dear dear friends of ours um, they have family in Russia and are struggling with the conflict and not agreeing with it. So there's a lot of human aspects and different ways we can look at this. But um, when I talk to Larissa, I know she's a proud, proud Ukrainian. Um, I love hearing your stories um, about celebrating Ukrainian Christmas, as well as, you know, your need for good full sour cream not light (laughs) sour cream and um so when i heard that she had gone to the rally in victoria and her guido's um personal um plate um i thought she would be a great great guest to have to connect with our viewers and share her story along the way so Larissa I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart and I know Cassandra's for being our guest today so welcome thank you so much for asking it took me aback when you asked me the other day and I'm just so proud um, to be here and thankful thank you thank you um do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself before we start delving into your Ukrainian heritage? Sure. So I'm half Ukrainian. Um, my mom is 100% Ukrainian. Um, so my maternal grandfather, my Guido, was born in Ukraine in 1899. And then my Baba 
was was born in Canada in 1915, but her parents immigrated in about 1910. So some of her siblings were born in Ukraine, but my Baba herself was um, born in Canada, but was raised very traditionally on a farm in Saskatchewan. And both my my Guido and my Baba ended up in Saskatchewan, and then they married um, in 1940. So they met in Saskatoon, actually. Um, what are my, their names, Larissa? Uh, my Guido's name was Nicholas, and my Baba's name was Anne. And um, I didn't know my Guido very well personally. He actually died when I was an infant. I was about nine months old when he passed away. He had cancer, but uh, I've been told stories and I've seen pictures. It bought him, brought him great joy. Um, my mom would take me over every night after dinner, and he would hold me on his lap. And um, as he was, his life was. Uh, ending it just brought him great joy to have a baby <laughs> around I guess is is what I've been told and then I was lucky oh my gosh my baba lived to be 98 so she good only for her was, I know it was amazing she uh, and she lived independently till she was 96 actually um so I was very lucky to have my baba in my life for so long and she was a very very strong influence I was her only granddaughter um, so we did baking and cooking and I would go to church with her and uh, she was a, a huge influence on my life. That's lovely. Um, hearing you say Baba um, brings back some family connections as um, can, uh, Cassandra's um, paternal grandmother was a Baba mm -hmm. um, and her family grew up in Saskatchewan themselves. So oh. some familiar connections there. And from what you were saying, there seems to be like a strong Ukrainian community in Saskatchewan. I think a lot of Ukrainians ended up on the prairies because of the similarities. Um, Ukraine is known as the breadbasket of Europe. They have a strong agricultural um, base, as does Saskatchewan. So I think it's the, the similarities in lifestyle almost that um, maybe drew Ukrainians to the prairies. I yeah I read that fact the other day uh, that they supply twenty five percent of the world, uh, Europeans wheat mm -hmm. um, out of the Ukraine a huge amount so mm -hmm. um, uh, go ahead Cassandra can you tell us a bit more about so did you grow up in Saskatchewan I did I was born in Saskatoon I lived there till I was about twenty and I was very involved in the Ukrainian community or community there. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, of course. Well, it started, uh, I, I went to Sadochuk, which was Ukrainian preschool. <laughs> and then, so I, that started early, probably I was three or four years old. Uh, that was in the church basement, of course. Where else would it be? And then um, I went to Ukrainian school, probably from the time I was in kindergarten till about grade six. That was every Saturday morning. So while all of my friends were watching cartoons on Saturday mornings, uh, I went to Ukrainian school because <laughs> that back then in the dark ages, you only got cartoons on Saturday mornings. Correct. I missed them. So, um, and then through that, I, uh, what else did I do? Um, I was on the committee for the Ukrainian National Youth Federation and attended some Ukrainian conferences with that. I sang in a Ukrainian choir called Dastuka. I'm actually on a record album, and it was a record <laughs> album. <laughs> oh, you need to share that. Yeah, can I find that anywhere? I 
no idea. It's at my mom's house. <laughs> I know that much. <laughs> so, and I was, I was just always very connected. There was, there's a hall. The, so the Ukrainian National Federation Hall in Saskatoon, my Gouda helped build it actually too. And both my Baba and Gita were very proud members of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. So would you say, would you think it would be fair to say that the U- Canadian Ukrainian community is built around strong people who were really chasing this dream? Mm-hmm. And can you build upon that a little more? Sure. My mom says that my Gita was thankful to God every single day that he ended up in Canada. Mm-hmm. So, and my Baba was, uh, so my Baba was widowed young. There was an age difference between the two of them. And then my Gita passed away. My Baba would have been about 55-ish, somewhere in there, mid-50s. So she she turned to the church. The church was her solace. Um, after she was widowed, um, she was uh, a very, very well-respected church member. And um, the, to say they're strong people, I think, uh, is very accurate, Cassandra. Very, very accurate. They're hard. They just generally, as a as a ethnic community is they're known as hard workers and down to earth and really strong sense of belonging together I think lifting each other up that community I just there was what stood out to me right there uh, beyond the strong community because like I said prior to when you speak about your Ukrainian heritage like your pride just shines through it really Mm -hmm. does um which I've always loved about you, but you said your um, Baba became a widow at 55. Yeah, roughly. That's roughly just a few years older than you and me. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's just, it really brings home. Like you spent the next 50 years. Yeah. As a widow. And I, I know my grandmother was like that too. She spent about the last 50 years on her own as well, but Mm -hmm. it's a, to me that was like it could be you and me absolutely right mm-hmm. so um how I, I just wanted to touch base like how have you been feeling the last week since this uh, the war started the unprovoked war started yeah you know I think I think it even started longer than a week ago it started it's been maybe three or four weeks since you know the news started picking up the story that Russia had had was stockpiling troops around Ukraine's border. So that started a few weeks ago. But once everything um, really started up a week ago, um, it's um, heartbreaking. I don't, I can't, I don't even know how to describe it, honestly. And I should, I, I don't, I think there may be potentially could be some very long distant relatives on my on my Guido side in Ukraine, but I don't actually am, I'm not in touch with anyone there. So it's not like I can even say I know anyone personally. It's just the, the deep sense how hard Ukraine has fought to be a sovereign democratic nation mm-hmm. over centuries from Russia and to have it invaded. Like it, it's just, it's, it's almost, it's physically sickening and it, it almost weighs on my shoulders. It's so, so wrong. And and I and I I think people who aren't Ukrainian feel that. But maybe for those of us who who identify uh, with Ukrainian heritage, it's maybe a little heavier in our hearts. I 
100%. And I mean, I, I, for me, you know, my parents are Scottish. I'm first generation Canadian, but I was talking to my other daughter now. Um, and she was so upset the other night over the war and what's going on. Um, and really because her roots of being Ukraine, Ukrainian, um, she was really feeling the weight of it because, you know, her Baba was Ukrainian and I, I kind of had to step back a little bit and put myself in her shoes that, I mean, even though I have not grown up Ukrainian, my kids have that heritage and are very mm-hmm. proud of it themselves too. Um, and, you know, diving into it, I was very proud of how proud she is of that heritage herself. So mm-hmm. um, I can't imagine, you know, individuals who've spent their whole life um, being you know, being raised more actively with the mm-hmm. traditions and the culture and how everyone's feeling yeah themselves so how are your boys feeling about all of this uh I think my kids uh are just saddened I think war in general is sad. Um, I, they were very close to their, they called her great Baba. And of course they're very close to my mom, their Baba. So um, I think, do you know what I think they feel the most is, is they feel very sad for my mom, for their Mm -hmm. Baba. They recognize how difficult this is for her. I think it's a sense of empathy for my mom that they feel the most. And that's wonderful. The, uh, not everyone has the capability of showing empathy during these times, right? Mm-hmm. And especially, I, I'd say, you know, even for young men too, it's hard to show sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's really great that they've had that. Um, so in terms of your Guido, it's the, even the, just the high level story that you shared with us earlier before we started, mm-hmm. I'd like to start diving into that a little bit. Um, so walk us through, well, tell us a little bit of, a little bit more about your Guido and then kind of start his story off for us. Sure. Um, so my born in Ukraine in 1899 and he uh, ended up in Canada. Uh, he, well, he fled Ukraine in 1928. He and his brother fled together. They were part of the Ukrainian underground because at that time in Ukrainian history, uh, which is almost 100 years ago now, here's a surprise. Russia was trying to take over the Ukraine at that point. And I actually would like to make a distinction, maybe. It used to be called the Ukraine. But now, Mm -hmm. especially since the Orange Revolution in 2014, it's known as Ukraine. So sometimes I still slip and say the Ukraine because that's what I was brought up saying. But um, if you notice in the news now, it's it's Ukraine because okay. having the word the in front sort of implies that it's um, under somebody's rule and they are not <laughs> anymore. That I, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very important distinction to make, actually. Mm. Thank you for so, sharing that. You're welcome. But so when he left it was the ukraine in 1928 he and his brother left together they were part of the ukrainian underground um trying to prevent russia 
uh, from taking over. And I'm not sure, have you ever heard of the Holodomir? Do you know that term? I, I do not. Okay, so the Holodomir happened in roughly 1932, and it was a very um, targeted, specific um, starvation of Ukrainian people. Russia took all of the grain, and it's estimated that approximately 6 million Ukrainian people died in that time span, roughly 1931, 32, somewhere in there. I'm not a historical expert, sorry. But it's called the Holodomir, and there's um, documentaries about it now. It was Russia starving the people. They would take all of the grain, they would take all of the food, and people starved to death because mm -hmm. of that. So Maguito, I don't know if he would maybe have known that was coming in the near future, but he knew things were bad, and he and his brother escaped because they had carrier pigeons, which a century ago were a very, very um, useful form of communication. And especially if you were part of the underground, that's how people communicated. So they fled to Paris. Um, my Guido's brother was killed by the KGB in Paris. Next question, was he killed during their fleeing to Paris? No, he was killed in Paris is, is my best understanding of mm. the story. It's mm -hmm. second, third hand at this point. Um, so, uh, and um, I guess, quite fortunately, by the grace of God, Maguida made it to Canada, uh, event initially Montreal and then settled in Saskatoon. So um, it's, it's a small miracle that he made it, and yeah. which uh, gives uh, deep <laughs> significance, I guess, in my heart. Like this is, as much as this war is current, it's not new. No if that makes sense. Um, so I'm thinking of all these these people who, I think Cassandra, you said a million people at this point who fled, um, how, how terrifying that must be for those people, not knowing, right? My Gita didn't know where he was gonna end up either. Just leaving to just, because you're not safe is terrifying, Nowhere, no options. <laughs> Yeah, leaving your home, your family. Mm -hmm. um, Not knowing if he'll ever go back. And my Guido never did. He couldn't. It would. He would have been killed if he went back. Oh, so never returned. Never, never went back. Never, never left Canada. Wow. I don't know that he even left the prairies. Now that I think, of, I don't know for sure. <laughs> That'd be my guess. <laughs> you showed out to Saskatchewan, man. <laughs> it's um, a beautiful place. A little flat. It's nice. There you go. Um, did, based on the, the stories that, well, hearing the stories and them being told, how, so when you're seeing the refugees, you know, leaving with just literally what's standing out to me is the, the children pulling their little suitcases mm -hmm. that we've all bought for our kids to hop on the planes to go see their babas and their grandma and grandpas mm -hmm. and that's what's sticking to me is these small children are being torn apart from their parents their dads and their lives will never be the same no in a course of a few weeks like you said their the projection of where they're going to end up and how they're going to be has changed 
the whole course of their life is yeah. is now on a whole different path probably yeah well I, I would say you would think that the PTSD alone learning how to manage that or in, and I mean we're still it's such early stages mm-hmm. of where we're seeing we don't know how this is going to unfold um, when you talk to your mom mm-hmm. uh, how is she processing all of this if I can ask of course you can oh my mom is a lot of things <laughs> she's rather feisty my mom she just <laughs> turned 79 on Sunday um, she's she's mad as hell is what she is she is one angry little baba let me tell you <laughs> she's, she's just pissed off like she's so upset and i mean and on top of sad and all but that right now mostly she's just mad like she cannot believe this is happening she's she's so mad so you say At she- russia basically not russians as a people no. but she actually her, her new nickname for putin is the devil in a suit that's what she calls him now uh well there we go mm-hmm. um he, and she's in my my opinion right um yeah. um i want to circle back um to you said your mom's a feisty little baba so can you describe your mom like i have this picture of like <laughs> you can't see them our viewers are or listeners can't hear us but i'm just i guess i have a picture of my uh, my husband's um mom which she was not even five feet and everyone would say she's feisty he was a feisty mm-hmm. little bob and i would say my kids would agree with that could just describe your mom a little bit more for me please sure uh well again people can't see me but um I look, I'm a carbon copy of my mom. We look very similar. Uh, she, she is. Purple hair does, too. She does have purple hair too. Does she really? <laughs> yeah, of course she does. Anyways, uh, she is maybe just five feet tall at this point. Um, so she's, I think she's shrunk a little bit. Um, she has always been active uh, in, in community uh, groups like she was she was the one she was the president of it was called the home and school at that time not your not a pack but a home and school she was and then she was on a she was the president of like the Saskatoon wide sort of home and school mm-hmm. uh, she she's always been a very active volunteer she is never at a loss for words let's go with that <laughs> My mom's had lots of physical challenges, lots of surgeries. She was hospitalized for a year when she was about seven uh, with a fairly, um, at that time, misunderstood disorder. And so she was in the hospital for a year. Um, She's had, physically, she's had a very difficult life. And, you know, you were talking about my Baba being widowed. My dad died um, when I was fairly young. um, And my mom was widowed at 49. So... um, so she's a very strong woman. She has overcome a lot of physical challenges, emotional challenges in her life. And uh, yeah, she's still going strong. She has a walker, mind you. <laughs> she can't walk very fast, but she's uh, she's a strong she woman. Know she has to use it to keep on moving. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to take uh, just a quick break here, and then we'll be right back for everybody. 
Um, if you're okay, I just wanted to shift gears a little bit because we mm-hmm. talked about history and your involved, like your deep rooted involvement with the conflict. And I love how you highlighted that this isn't just happening in the last month. This isn't just mm-hmm. a news cycle that it's been going on for almost a hundred years. And I, when, when you spoke of um, the, the Ukrainian famine, actually, I did a project on that in middle school. So as I was hearing you speak about it, it huh. felt really cool to he- re- be reminded of like the strong-rooted history that these mm-hmm. people have in overcoming adversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I wanted to ask you as someone who really does feel deeply connected to the conflict is how do you, what is your response to people's reactions on social media? Do you think they um, are being sensitive? Do you think they are rallying with the right information? Like, what are your reactions around that? Most, I think for the most part, what I've seen on social media has been supportive of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't seen anything else. Um I I think maybe people don't always understand that how long-standing the conflict mm-hmm. is, like the the historic, um, the historic nature of things. Like it's this isn't new. So, mm-hmm. um, the interesting thing, and I don't know if any if you all have seen this too, is the odd time people will, mm, I'm not sure how to put this politely, like poke fun at the recent protests in Canada saying Mm -hmm. you all didn't actually have any idea what oppression is. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. That's where I've seen some interesting um, dialogues (laughs) (laughs) on social media, like people trying to equate the convoy with what's going on in Ukraine. When that one gets to me, that one gets to me, gets to me a lot actually, whereas clearly there's no, comparison it's nothing it's nothing alike it really is and it's easy for people who to make these assumptions about oppression when they've never actually felt oppressed Mm -hmm. and you know being confronted with that reality is uncomfortable and that's why you get such a heavy reaction when you say to people who you know I call them freedom patrollers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you see freedom patrollers say, well, we're experiencing the same stuff and t- well you're not, mm-hmm. you know? Like your right to go to a bar is not the same as a your right to s- security. Yeah. So it I, at that point you really can't I in my opinion um you can't change people's minds. Um, all you can really do is attempt, mm-hmm. at least what you I've know, experienced. I, I stay fairly neutral. I don't have a lot of social media. I should probably add that. I mm-hmm. Because of my, my advanced age, uh, I'm a Facebook fan. I'm sorry, you're what? <laughs> Kim is just like, what? You're kind of my age. Anyways, uh, I'm two years Facebook. older than me, lady. <laughs> yeah, I do Facebook. And I, and I, you know, throughout everything, I actually choose to be I don't post a lot to be honest and I I typically don't post political things other than like maybe you know uh, say it's voting day maybe you know remind people go go vote you know uh, that kind of thing but I I have not gotten involved in any political discourse uh, regarding uh, the convoy or masking or vaccines I've just chosen to not do that but I have been posting daily 
I think daily, uh, different Ukrainian posts of mm -hmm. different types. And mm -hmm. I, I do have one anti-mask, anti-vax friend in Alberta who sort of made a comment and another friend of mine somewhat very politely, but set that person straight. And I was like, <laughs> yeah but i i i i don't i don't want to turn this into a fight like i'm just how it seems ridiculous but i'm just trying to support mm -hmm. and by posting different sort of uplifting ukrainian posts like um every day or informational posts like when the rally mm -hmm. was or that kind of thing so i i don't want to get into online fights it's no. just not who I am as a person and I don't think it's even worthwhile one thing I was curious about is there seems to be at least on TikTok um there mm -hmm. seems to be some controversy around like people use um comedy as a coping mechanism and that's fine but mm -hmm. when people make the jokes about world war three or make memes about it I've seen a lot of conversations on TikTok and Instagram, particularly about how people are saying you should just cut it out with the memes, cut it out with the World War Three jokes because it's insensitive, while other people mm -hmm. say, make another argument that suggests that humor is a way for people to cope. Where would you <laughs> see yourself falling on that side of thing? Well, I suppose the beauty of it is that we have freedom of speech and people can do what they want yes. <laughs> some places. Yes. Um, you know, I think people do cope in different ways, Cassandra. I totally agree with you. And if humor is what works for some people, um, I don't know how to explain this. Just because you're offended doesn't make you right. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. So people who don't see the humor in it, um, that's their right. I, I don't see much humor in it to be mm -hmm. honest but if people do I guess they do you, I, you can't control other people's behavior right? no you can only re control your response or reaction depending mm -hmm. on how strong it is and I feel like maybe some people who do engage in those like comments on social media are people who don't really know what else to do because at the end of the day we as civilians have very little control Mm -hmm. there's very virtually nothing you can do well, other than... sorry Cassandra I didn't mean to interrupt but uh, can you expand on the context because civilians from outside of the Ukraine we have very little control but the images coming through social media from the Ukraine that's a whole different story civilians are stepping up they are taking arms to fight and protect their country. No, so I, do yeah. you mean civilians outside of the Ukraine? Yeah, I mean like us people in our situations, like North America. There's virtually nothing we can do. Like, but um, is it or can you can you have a voice through? You know, what I do see is I see more yellow and blue mm -hmm. on social media feeds. Mm -hmm. I see more. Um, people with the capacity like and I, I am throwing this name out here but like ryan reynolds saying i will donate we will match a, a million dollars mm -hmm. I, I think 
I think we do have a voice through social media that, and I think that's what's actually going to, and I do agree the sanctions are what will get to the core of some of this, but it prior to even any other wars, social media can influence people, even in Russia saying, no, we're not doing this. This is wrong. I think we're in a very interesting time where, there hasn't been a major world conflict with Twitter yet. Mm-hmm. And that adds an entire different element because, you know, back in World War One, World War Two, people were getting their news the next day up to two days later. Um, they weren't informed. And now we know what's happening minutes after it happened. Right. It's and live streamed on CNN. Like you can see you can see anything. Yeah, so it, I, seeing these layers of how billions of people are engaging in the, this conflict in their own um, unique way is something so unprecedented. And also, in some ways, allows us to not, I found personally, because Apple sends you notifications for news, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost, the bad news is almost inescapable. <laughs> But bad news. It is an escape, and I think you have to. Um, I know I have to monitor how much news I watch in order to keep my own mental health stable. Mm-hmm. And that's more like coming from a pandemic perspective. I knew at some point I had to just not look at numbers anymore and not do this because it was affecting my health. Right now, it's kind of the same thing in terms of social media, too, as you see. And this is where I get conflicted a little bit. You you see some of these horrific images coming out of there and just gar- gut-wrenching images in terms of children mm-hmm. coming out of there. And then I feel almost guilty for turning it off for taking a break because they're living it and I yeah. I can only take so much of it so that's where I'm struggling a little bit from how are you feeling with some of the images in that Larissa you know I'm very similar Kim I had to do the same thing and step back I used to be a news junkie and then um truthfully the even pre pandemic it was Trump I couldn't I couldn't take that news I just couldn't stomach it it just was too much and then same thing with the pandemic I had to step back too for my own self-preservation I think mm-hmm. so I I do I am watching the news every day now because of this conflict but it's um it's hard and it and it's I feel um, emotionally exhausted from it, but I also feel like that's the very least I could do at this point. Staying informed is all, because as you were saying, mom, when I made the comments about we can't do virtually anything, you responded to that by saying, well, we can inform and we can engage and we can participate politically in what's going on. And you're right. That's like how we, do our role as citizens is we don't have the right to make these executive decisions about ceasefires or refugees or humanitarian aid but we can stay political we can stay engaged and once we stop doing that are we complacent raises questions like that 
you know, it's funny you should say that, Cassandra. So I, I went to the rally last Sunday afternoon uh, <laughs> at the BC legislature. This Sunday, um, the Ukrainian Canadian Congress here is planning a different type of event uh, where they're hoping people line Douglas Street, which is the main street into downtown here in Victoria, with like their blue and yellow posters. And I, I've been one, I, like, my first instinct is like, yeah, I'm going to go there, of course, like, how could I not? And then there was a part of me that I'm like, but what does that show? Like, really, like a rally felt like it was, it was maybe a 1000 people all in one place and the energy and, and sharing a shared experience. But I'm thinking people lined up along the street, is that going to be the same? There's a part of me that I, I don't know if I'll go, but then I feel guilty. Like, what if I don't go? Like, is that wrong? I don't know what I, and I still don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'll, I sense I'll go, but it doesn't, I don't know if that one's doing as much. Are you worried they're going to block the street? No, not at all. They're just lining like on the sidewalk. There's mm. no traffic blockage, like nothing like that. It's just so the people driving into downtown mm-hmm. get a sense of the strong Ukrainian support. Right. I don't mean by Ukrainian people, just strong support for Ukraine is maybe a better way to word it. So, yeah. um, so I, I, I think I will go, but I did contemplate not going because I wasn't sure if it was a strong enough message, but it, uh, yeah, I'll go. You know what? Like you say that. And to me, that's something like I might feel like I could participate in, in terms of showing some solidarity with mm-hmm. maybe even removing that the rally piece of it, mm-hmm. it more of a, a quiet demonstration, but also if enough people came, you could see how long the blue and yellow went for, like from downtown mm-hmm. up to the Malahat or beyond. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great. I'll pick you up. No. <laughs> Let me know what time and where, and I'll be there. I think that might've rhymed. <laughs> oh my gosh. You can come with. Uh, so Cassandra yeah. that's an interesting thing like so we obviously live in the capital of British Columbia what do you get a sense um, like through the streets and the talk, the conversations you're having I understand like you're at the university so conversations might be a little bit more easily converse like in that academic world but do, like when you're out and about you know at Orchard Park or downtown like are you is there conversations? Um, I haven't frequented much to like downtown since conflict has started to gain some steam. Um, but I know at the school there has been lots of conversations around it, lots of conversations in my friend group. My best friend is in basic training right now in the military. So He's dating another one of my best friends. So there's lots of conversations around his future. One of my other friends, her boyfriend's being deployed to Latvia next month. So there's lots of conversations around people's futures as far as the military is concerned. Um, I'm going to just do a shout out to Austin. Yeah, Uh, shout out Austin. He's your best friend um, in the one in the reserves. But he was also a guest on the podcast. So I think we should have a shout out. Yeah, a friend of the podcast is in the military, as we've discussed privately. Yeah, so it's been... If I'm going to be honest, and I might edit this out, is um, 
like the the dialogue in my the dialogue hasn't really been centered around the Ukraine in my life recently because someone was murdered on campus mm. the other day. So there's been a lot more um, talks about how the UBCO community is gonna respond respond to the the on the like the local problems that we're yeah. dealing with at the moment. Um, but prior to um, when Harmon Deep was like senselessly murdered the other day um there was lots of just conversations around what should be done what should not be done like people have their own opinions as to whether or not sanctions are going to do anything and the reason why i really posed the question to you about the memes is because people in my life have been really responding with this kind of humor myself included like i have a hard time sitting a million people being thrown into refuge with no sense of direction and just completely abandoned, deserted by just their their state. They're not abandoned by the Ukraine government. Like, I think the president of the Ukraine is an absolute beast. Like, mega respect to him. No kidding. So I don't feel like they're abandoned by their state, but more of to have a rubber under your feet is something I have a hard time digesting with. War in general is something I struggle with personally because people tend to not look at the mass loss of civilian life associated with war, moreover, just the patriotism. But war is far more than just patriotism. It's economic, it's social, it's everything, including military, you know? Well, and I think the distinction between war, which is the actual fighting and bombing and the Mm -hmm. the missiles, and the fact that the result is a humanitarian crisis. Yes. And we've seen this in, we saw this in Afghanistan when the Mm -hmm. Taliban overthrew the Afghan government too. Like um, something I've been thinking about too is how this humanitarian crisis in particular allows us to understand as people how badly this affects um, human life. And maybe my hopes is if there's a silver lining, we can take what we've learned from what we see in Ukraine and better invest into humanitarian resources so this doesn't happen again or even for the Afghan people or the Taiwanese people or anyone really who is getting bullied by another government or Mm -hmm. other, you know, militia such as the Taliban. That's the only really silver lining I feel I can draw from it, but the awareness piece. Yeah. Yeah. Is I just feel so strongly for civilians in this case there's this white poppy movement that i'm not sure if you guys have heard of but it's highly controversial because during remembrance day people will wear white poppies instead of red ones and the white poppy symbolize the acknowledgement of loss of civilian life not just the loss of life of soldiers and they're highly controversial but i resonate with them a little bit because you know and my it's not like i don't have family in who has served it's the fact that about three times is to my knowledge about three times the amount of military life is lost in civilian life and we just don't seem to acknowledge that as much which i think we should 
You've given me something to ponder, Cassandra. Um, it's honestly, that's the... Um, um, I'm going to switch a little bit, but I um, maybe we're going down a path that we shouldn't go, but um, I think we've talked about how the social media part of this war is different than other wars prior to. Mm-hmm. Um, what I have found is the images of women fighting in the Ukraine. Am I saying that? Mm-hmm. The, I don't want to say the but it's coming out, Ukraine, um, and the impact they're having mm-hmm. on this war as well, too. So I guess you, you, all these um, the change be- between how society has changed and how we've grown and how you know women are, are prior to not necessarily considered equal, but we are, but the brave and the courageousness of them standing up and saying it is our country too and we are fighting we are here Mm -hmm. give me a gun that's the other big thing that's you know as a woman i am resonating with that's resonating with me as well Mm -hmm. yeah war's been good for women historically (laughs) we have the right to vote because of war (laughs) So, Larissa, you were going to say something, I think? Yeah, sorry. Um, I've lost my train of thought. Oh, I think it's it's different in that, like, nobody has to enlist right now in Ukraine. They are literally just handing out guns. Here you go. And that it just shows how deeply patriotic and mm. strong um, these women are and, and men who, who are just feeling the need, the innate need to defend their country Mm -hmm. um it is very different for women i think in that way because they're just they're just doing it you know what like there's not a i don't think they're choosing i think it's it's just a matter of doing Mm -hmm. i really do commend and respect the absolute grit and sheer determination that has come out of that country since you know, the invasion has started. It is inspiring, to say the least. Do you know what their population is off the top of your head? Roughly 40 million. Roughly 40. So that's about the same as Canada. Somewhere around there, yeah. yeah. So that would, it's, if we were like to compare, it would, in a, in a way, if we were much geographically smaller, be like the mm-hmm. United States aggressing towards us. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. now... <laughs> overwhelming to think about when you when you see on the news that russia has miles and miles of military vehicles lined up Mm -hmm. uh to invade i mean like you said geographically cassandra it's small it's Mm -hmm. very small Mm -hmm. in comparison yeah and do you like um i was gonna i'm not sure if i'm gonna ask this or not but I will, we'll, go well, ahead. While you're thinking about that, the one image, and I just wanted to circle back to the um, the female involvement, mm-hmm. and it is the one image that keeps resonating with me is um, a Russian soldier being captured, a young gentleman, so around your boy's age, Larissa, mm-hmm. and the a woman making or not making him, allowing him to phone his mom to tell him her she's okay 
mm-hmm. like to me that like that next level of concern and empathy and humanity that's humanity basic humanity yeah. basic humanity exactly thank you for that language mm-hmm. it's just it's the way we fight war, I think, I don't think Russia was expecting this. The humanity piece. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not one army against another. It's one army against a nation of absolutely patriotic, patriotic and heroic individuals of all ages. And I don't think they were expecting that. I think to build on top of what you were saying, Mom, is part of the reason why that is what it is. And again, to bring back the comparison to World War II is people are so much more educated now. Like they're not just reading what what the headlines are that probably their government put out there, endorsed. They're educating themselves. They're seeking multiple sources. And they know, they can see the truth between all of it which allows them to make their own moral judgment calls to do the right thing, opposed from just listening to very limited sources, which were often biased towards, you know, a political agenda. Well, and it would seem like just from watching the news, which, you know, different uh, news agencies can spin things differently, but it would seem that Russian soldiers have no idea why, why they're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And and don't and don't necessarily want to be doing it. Yeah, which mm-hmm. is a, a, another element of the complete sadness of the situation. Mm-hmm. Is it seems to be one aggressor against seven billion people. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm glad you shared your story of how you may be a second generation Ukrainian, but you still feel that heritage so deeply. Because, you know, we forget how they're a bit despotic, right? There's little, it's not just isolated to one place. Like, you can feel it everywhere because mm-hmm. of how our world has evolved over history. And I'm glad, I'm just happy you mentioned that because that's a part of the reason why it's felt so deeply around the world. Not just because it's morally un- and uneth- morally wrong and unethical, but because we all have some level of heritage somewhere that allows us to feel deeply for these things beyond complete immoralness of the actions mm-hmm. so yeah i'm really reflective right now <laughs> it's it's a very deep topic like mm. and sad and overwhelming mm-hmm. it's a lot of things I mean, the reality is Putin's a war criminal now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I'm curious to see his fate. <laughs> yeah. So what am happened? I. I'm, I'm genuine. And I think most, well, I can't speak obviously beyond me, but um, and I've said this, you know, I mentioned this to a couple of friends as, you know, we've been in this pandemic mode. It's the anniversary. Like we arrived in Kelowna on Friday, March 13th, 2020, to visit Cassandra, and six days later, we're bringing her home because of a pandemic. And for the first time between a pandemic, floods, fires, you know, Omicron, 
convoys that just pissed me off but this is the first time I have felt nervous you know the world can be you know with a health crisis it's that's one thing but war is a whole other ball game so this is the first time in two years and everything that we've gone through in two years that I'm genuinely a little bit nervous every day like what's going to be the next step here you know i'm kind of done living through historical events yeah you know (laughs) i just we've had two years of uncertainty upon uncertainty upon uncertainties um whether they be pandemic related or the weather or so many things Natural disasters in British Columbia. Yeah, that's their problem. (laughs) I was caught in an atmospheric river. I hear you. But um, (laughs) this is different. Like this is he's threatening nuclear war. Like that's that's a whole different level of uncertainty. Um, Scary, scary level of uncertainty. Yeah, I was reading. (laughs) You're going to say my, my other least favorite word, unprecedented. If I never hear that word again, I'd be so Or Novel. Do you remember the the Novel coronavirus? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I know we're, you know, we've been on and we've been talking quite a bit. And we could probably talk for the next three hours. But um, I know mental health, like, don't mind our mess does focus around mental health. That's kind of how we got this started. And... Um, I know mental health is near and dear to you, Larissa, as well. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to take a minute to say, like, first of all, check in on your mental health. And then second, what would be one thing that you're doing or one thing that you may be, you know, encouraging other people to do during this time to try to keep their mental health I'm not saying happy, but in check or I know just having this conversation with the two of you tonight has, even though it's been hard and it's Mm -hmm. a deep conversation, it has settled me a little bit as well. I think, uh, as you alluded, Kim, I work in the mental health field. So um, one of the things we've been focusing on is encouraging people to to remember what they can control because so much in this world feels like it's outside of our control there are things we can control we we can't make the world go away but we can give money to the red cross or whatever organization you so choose um you can go to a rally if that helps you um you can uh you can look at the news or choose not to look at the news if that's where you need to be but maybe recognizing what you need is important. Um, Leaning on the supports that you have in place is helpful. I know the Ukrainian Canadian Congress here in Victoria has offered support to anyone who needs it, Ukrainian or not Ukrainian. Um, There's lots of supports out there for people um, who are struggling with this. And just a a level of self-compassion and recognition like, yeah, this is really fucking hard right now. And it's okay if all I can manage tonight is to sit on the couch. It's okay. And watch some mindless TV for a little while. That's Don't judge. Don't feel guilt. None of that. Like, mm-hmm. I've had it up to my eyeballs with all the stuff in the world. 
I just have to not think for a little while. That's okay too. It's really okay. Whatever you need is okay. Absolutely. And with that being said, um, I just want to thank you again for joining us. And I've learned a lot. I've reflected a lot. And um, I'm I'm very grateful for this conversation. And it gives me a lot of peace. So thank you. Uh, Thank you again for asking. It was my utmost pleasure to be here. And honor to my family. It really has been a wonderful conversation. And um, thank you for, I know you're very good at facilitating. I witness it weekly. And um, thank you for letting me switch the tables on you tonight with us um, and be a part of it. it. It is courageous, even though you're used to doing it every week. Talking about mm-hmm. this is very courageous and I'm very grateful. And I have to tell you during this whole conversation, I have a picture of you in my head and I might be saying it wrong, but one of the sayings you say quite a bit is think, feel, do. Yeah. And that's resonated with what you said in terms of doing what you need to do. Think about what you need, feel what you want and do it in terms of ending on that. So thank you very much, Larissa. And um, I can't wait to share this with you. And thank thank you, you. Cassandra, for um, being a part of this. As always, it's a joy to see your face when I don't get to very often. So thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you both.